Welcome to Piecemeal, a podcast hosted by the Emily Program, where we put it all together for you. Piecemeal discusses topics related to eating disorders, body image issues, and how society may contribute to disordered thinking. I'm your host, Jillian Lampert. Please keep in mind that we may discuss difficult topics, and we ask that you use your own discretion when listening, or that you speak with a therapist as needed. Today, we're joined by Kezia Reeder. Hi, Kezia. Hi, Jillian. We are so thrilled to have Kezia as our guest today. Kezia is many things. She is a former EMILY Program staff member, once upon a time, an EMILY Program client. She's currently mom to an incredible small human that I adore, partner to a very proud dad. She's a caring sister, friend, daughter, all around really amazing person. She's also a passionate advocate for eating disorders. She shared her story of recovery on Capitol Hill. She's agreed to be our guest today to talk about one of the, the more difficult times of the year for people with eating disorders, the holidays. So Kezia, maybe start a little bit with you know, what were holidays like when you were struggling with an eating disorder? So when I developed the eating disorder, I was in college. So the very first time I came home to celebrate a holiday was um, when my family caught on that something was different. So overall, the holidays were incredibly stressful. They were not fun. From the get-go, it was it was hard. I mean, I lived four hours away from where I went to school, so even the road trip started to be stressful because the road trip means you typically, you know, fast food, snacks. And so my very rigid routine was already compromised. And so by the time I got home, even though I was really excited to see my family, I was already agitated. And I feel like that just was not a great way to start an already stressful time of year. And I'd say that over the four years that I struggled with my eating disorder, it was pretty much the same pattern. Um, At first, it was really difficult because I was so new to the whole idea of eating disorders and eating disorder treatment. Um, At first, I had, you know, no exposure to therapy. So it was uncharted territory. But as I got into treatment and as the holidays, you know, came and went, um, it did get a little bit easier. But at first... I had no idea what I needed. I had no idea how to ask for what I needed. So I just, I had no coping skills to utilize and it was all about food. It was all about those consistent thoughts that are running through your head of, you know, I have to eat, I have to eat in front of people. Typically, you know, you're not in your soft clothes, AKA your sweatpants. (laughs) So, you know, even, even the thoughts of like jeans that could maybe make you feel uncomfortable, everything about it was just just a struggle and a lot of times I think your your story speaks to this a little bit where you are away before the holidays for a period of time and then you come home so there's the whole like coming back home maybe seeing people you haven't seen for a while and some anxiety about that and then seeing relatives or other people you haven't seen for a long time maybe since the last holiday so that aspect of it is stressful I think for for a lot of people I experienced that a lot I mean I'd go a long time without seeing these you know friends or family and unfortunately when your body changes appearance whether you lose weight or gain weight usually there's comments that go with it Mm -hmm. so with the you look so good if you've lost weight it's really damaging because it can reinforce the message of what you're doing is working and it can feel good when you're in the eating disorder but really it's it's so unhealthy to hear that. Yeah. And so, so common. Like when you don't see somebody for a while, like, oh, you look great. Why is that the first thing we say? It's a challenging thing anyway, but for somebody with an eating disorder, really tough to start off there on that foot. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Anything that um, that you can think of that made it particularly challenging or an example that you had where your maybe your plans changed or somebody showed up that you weren't planning on coming and they brought that food you weren't planning on having be there or the menu changed or anything that really kind of threw you for a loop? All of the above. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I over four years, you have a lot of holidays yeah. to, you know, gather those experiences. Yeah. But for me early on, the hardest was just not having an outlet um, of someone that I could talk to that knew what was going on. I mean, my family was amazing. As soon as it was, you know, as soon as they discovered that I had an eating disorder, their number one thing was what can we do to help? But unfortunately, I didn't take that so well. Because, A, I was in denial for a long time that I had an eating disorder, even though there was a diagnosis and I had a therapist and a dietitian. But, B, part of that was I also was a bit of a perfectionist and I had a really hard time asking for help. I like to be the one that would give help. It was very uncomfortable for me to ask for help. And I had no idea what to ask for. When it is uncharted waters for you, you don't know what works, what doesn't work, it's really difficult and it's overwhelming. So a lot of the times I just wouldn't ask. Yeah. Do you remember anything, any thoughts or feelings that were particular around the holidays? Like holidays have their own extra sort of stress about them and it's a time of year where people are often celebrating or happy or excited or anxious or sad or anything that you remember in your experience being particular around your thoughts or feelings? I feel like I was constantly stressed from Thanksgiving through New Year's Eve. Um, you know, it's supposed to be a time of celebration. And I mean, in the United States, a lot of our celebration centers around gathering for a meal. And so, you know, being home for the holidays and having friends that you want to catch up with saying, you know, let's go to eat at our favorite restaurant that we never go to suck. You know, I was pretty good at hiding my eating disorder, but I wasn't able to be present for any of those moments. It was constantly focused on what did I eat today? Did I, you know, did I exercise? You know, all of those just unhelpful but unfortunate realities that having an eating disorder can bring in those thoughts. And so I wasn't able to be present. It was how do I get away with, you know, sneaking some bites of my foods that people think I'm eating but not having to. And it was miserable. I mean, I feel bad because I know I wasn't as good of a family member or friend as I could be, and that's because I had an eating disorder. Yeah. I think, too, about all the, like all the food that shows up, right? People bake. It's like the baking, <laughs> the baking trend happens come November and lasts through, through February. And there's, we like to give gifts, like you were saying. In, in this culture, we like to give gifts of food. We celebrate with food. The sort of food being all over the place, that is challenging, I think, in lots and lots of ways. Um, what do you think in terms of maybe other people that you knew that struggled with eating disorders or anything you heard in treatment, um, that that time of year, how is that challenging in terms of just all the food being around? So from my own experience and also a lot of the experiences that I'll talk about today come from just you know anecdotes that I've heard um, throughout my time in treatment, but along with the food typically come really unhelpful conversations. Mm -hmm. So the focus on diets, I mean, today there's, there's keto, there's, there's paleo, there's, I don't even know, cause I don't care anymore, <laughs> but there's too many of them. Yeah. And I know that growing up in the Midwest, talking about a diet tends to be a popular conversation when there's food around. Mm -hmm. So it's just not helpful. And, you know, 
when you also have Midwestern family members, they're not afraid to comment on appearances. <laughs> so, you know, it would be not like this isn't my family, but, you know, an aunt commenting about how she feels she can't eat something because she gained weight or her pants are tight. And so she shouldn't, you know, it's all this body shaming that has, mm-hmm. you know, become ingrained in how our culture talks about themselves. And so, yeah, I think with food, comes a lot of those conversations that just aren't helpful. And I think a lot of the times people don't mean to bring up that stuff and they don't think about the impact it's having, but you never know who's around and who's hearing and having a hard time with food and really internalizing that. So I think that's a challenging part too. On any social media stream or any news stream, it's hard to to not see the you know, X amount of weight gain between Thanksgiving and New Year's or the... All those gym challenges challenges. of having, like, zero weight gain and winning some prize, like... Often (laughs) food-related. And then there's the New Year's Eve or the, you know, the New Year resolution and and all of that, that it's really, I mean, it's, it's an interesting... It's an interesting time in our culture generally for people to be obsessed about food and weight and appearance and then you add in eating disorder into that mix and it's it's no wonder that holidays are so difficult. Yeah, so I'd really stress it's not just the holiday itself, it's the whole build up around it. It's November through January that can be really triggering. Yeah, absolutely. What uh, what's what strategies did you find were successful in kind of managing your thoughts and feelings and, and over the course of your recovery? What did you find? What did you learn became helpful to you? And then my second question, you can think about that is sort of what was not successful? Like, did you try some things that weren't helpful or or you realized, hmm, probably that would have been a good time to try one of those skills or one of those things I learned? Over those four-ish years, there was a lot of trial and error. There was a lot of tears. There was a lot of swearing. There was a lot of, <laughs> I don't know what I need. There was a, the, that was a good idea, and it failed miserably. So, I mean, it took a lot of, of time to figure it out. But my most successful, you know, holidays would be ones where I really – was present in my treatment. So it was when I would actually listen to my therapist or dietitian when they say, hey, these might be helpful skills and and practice them. So I found for me personally, it was when I was really intentional and planned. So that involved starting with asking my sister, like saying, I need you to be my ally. I need you to stick by my side. If you hear someone talking about something that might be triggering, please shut it down because I don't think I'll be able to. It was working with my dietitian to be really mindful and have a solid plan in place about the holiday. So, you know, I know, I don't even know how this started, but I feel like everyone feels like you fast before Thanksgiving, which that's so dumb. Like, but I feel like it's a common, it's a common theme. And, you know, I learned that's actually a horrible idea. Have your breakfast, have your lunch, make it fit. And so, you know, for me, typical excuses would be I'm too busy or I don't have anything around the house. So I just wouldn't eat. I'd use that as an excuse to not eat. And then I'd be hungry. And then just the whole path of my eating disorder would be triggered around meals. So following my meal plan worked really well for me. Um, I was able to see that everything does fit and, you know, there wasn't any good foods or bad foods. And I think that's a really hard concept for a lot of people based on what we hear in our culture. But once I was um, willing to be flexible and not so black and white, 
things really started falling into, you know, falling into place where food just became food. I know a big term that was used in my recovery is food as medicine. And once I started listening to that, it really allowed me to think about how to make my, you know, the whole holiday better. Because if you can't, if you're not eating, you're not able to think about other things. Yeah. How do you think, or or maybe you, you can think about this specifically or more broadly, like how could family and friends recognize somebody's having a hard time? Whether it's like, you know, it's a big question. Like they could be, how do you recognize somebody might be struggling with an eating disorder when they come home after college break down to we're at, you know, grandma so-and-so's, we're getting ready to sit down for Christmas dinner. I can tell that you're having a hard time because I see you do or say X, Y, Z. I know for me personally, I was really disengaged. um, And that's because as I was anxious, I just, it was all in my head. And I just wasn't participating in conversations like I normally would which is not me. I talk all the time. So, I mean, I would say if you're noticing someone in your family or a good friend that is not being themselves, follow your intuition, ask them about it. I mean, I had a lot of people ask me what's wrong, what's wrong. And for a long time I lied and I said nothing, but it was so valuable to know those are the people that I can talk to when I'm ready And so that made a huge difference down the road when I was ready to talk. I knew who I could reach out to. I knew who really wanted to be there. So I think, you know, you might not get the answer you want, but at least it shows that you care. Um, So if someone is isolating themselves or just seems anxious and not present, just checking in with them, say, hey, what's going on, would um, would be a way to recognize that they might be struggling. Can you think of a couple instances that were little nuggets that were really helpful for you? Like you mentioned earlier, like your sister would kind of intervene in a conversation or maybe somebody sitting by you or... My sister was just a rock star for my recovery. I didn't trust my perception. And so portioning was really, really hard for me. I would look at my plate and see this like massive cornucopia when really it probably wasn't a lot. And so I would have her go first and plate her food so that I could have a healthy, normal person who has a good relationship with food put an appropriate amount, and I would mimic that. And I didn't need that the whole way through, but when I was first in my recovery, just being able to see what a normal amount looks like was really helpful. So that was one strategy that worked really well. You could just go in the buffet line behind her or sit next to her and scoop up your food and you're just interacting like sisters and doing your thing for people who are really kind of reluctant to to look like they're getting help I know that sometimes that's hard for people like I just want to be normal well and that's the thing the more family that knew about my eating disorder for a while I felt watched and judged and so it almost was easier at first with, you know, when I was first getting into recovery to do it. But then then there's it shifts and there's that period of I'm feeling watched and this is not helpful so much. But I had to realize that a lot of that was my own internal discomfort with it. And so it it's just one thing that got better and better as I got further into recovery. But a lot of the techniques we used at first were ones that no one would know that something was going on if they didn't have insider info. I mean, another example was 
we would, I'm very close with my cousins. And so my sister would just make sure that we like got out and did something afterwards, whether it's just like getting in someone's car and driving around (laughs) to escape the craziness of the rest of (laughs) the family and the gathering. But there was always some sort of distraction after the meal that really helped take the focus off of what I ate, how I felt, if I felt uncomfortable. So that was another key piece. Mm -hmm. And did you, did your sister ask you how she could help you? Or how about that conversation when you were like, hey, here's what you could do. How did that go? I mean, honestly, therapy was so valuable to me. It really gave me the skill set to be able to think about what do I need, the courage to be able to ask for what I need, and kind of a sounding board to process if I didn't get what I needed. And I mean, that's a reality too. You can ask for something that you need, and you might not have people you know, in your in your circle that are able to provide it for you for whatever reason. And so that provides its own challenges that you have to, you know, you have to learn how to be okay with that and to figure out a plan B that will work for you too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the planning aspect is really important that I know, you know, sometimes people have, have great family gatherings that they're really excited about and they're excited to see everybody and it, it just go, can go a little better with a little bit of planning. And then there are some situations where somebody's like, I, I just can't see that relative or I, I, I can't talk to that relative or I'll go to the gathering, but I really... I can't do it. I just, to be, to stay safe, I need to not interact with that person. And to be able to manage that in a, in a kind of the holiday chaos, that can be tricky. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the hard part is, is there's no clear cut. This is going to work for everyone. You have to figure out what works for you in that moment. And you might not know what you need. I mean, all the planning in the world could go to shit because something happens or, you know, like you said earlier, a relative shows up that you weren't expecting. A dish shows up that is really triggering that you weren't expecting. And so you have to learn how to be okay with the unexpected. And that's really hard, especially for people with eating disorders. Because, you know, with someone who struggles with alcoholism, they, you know, are just told to avoid drinking. But you cannot avoid eating. So it's always there yeah particularly around the around the holidays and so much of it you get together there's always that sort of that meal um i know that some people have have said one of the things that's helpful to them is to suggest to their family they do some non-food related things like hey let's get together at 10 o'clock in the morning and go have a snowball fight or go to the park that's not about food any have you heard any of those sort of helpful tips that are stories that people have told you about where they've managed to find a holiday fun thing that wasn't about food? Yeah, I mean, I know I know a lot of people that they're, they weren't able to successfully navigate meals with their family at, at a certain point, and so they absolutely were like, it's not that I don't want to be with you, I just can't do that. And so there was, you know, there's window shopping, there's stuff like that. I mean, you know, we live in Minnesota, it's really cold. So I guess some families are probably crazy enough to bundle up and go for a walk. But um, yeah, I definitely had people who would plan family like movies, you know, that's one thing we did over the holidays is we had a tradition, we'd open up our gifts, and then it's like movie day. And you're in your, you know, you're in your soft clothes, your sweatpants, and you're just, you know, cozy and cuddled up but there's a fire if you have one um where the focus doesn't have to be meals I know for a while I wasn't able to do meals with my family it was just too stressful I felt you know under the watchful eye and so for us it really was figuring out what to do 
without food for a while. Yeah, I think that's a great point that the holidays don't have to be all about food. And if that you need to, to cope, if you need to get through the holiday, have another plan, that means I'm going to eat over here with with a support person or not. And then I'm going to join the family for these other activities. That's okay, right? It's okay to, to get what you need. Yeah, maybe it's show up after the family meal, you know, at Thanksgiving or Christmas, but there for the present opening for for any of that. I mean, do what works for you. And there's a lot of different ways, you know, holidays can look successful with an eating disorder. Yeah. I know a lot of people talk about, like, I don't really want to go to treatment during the holidays because it's so busy and I have other things to do or I have to travel or, or I just don't, I don't know. It doesn't seem like it would fit in. What's your advice on stay in treatment, get into treatment around the holidays? I mean, that was absolutely me. Any excuse to cancel an appointment at the beginning, I was there. Um, but I have found that making the time for myself and for my treatment was really when my holidays started to be successful. It was having a plan. And honestly, I probably did have plan A, B, and C because I knew that stuff could change. And I'm, I was very rigid at a certain point, but the more you practice getting away from the rigidity and being okay with going with the flow, the easier it gets. And I'd say that's the same thing with recovery. Honestly, the more you can challenge those eating disordered thoughts and do the opposite of them, the more you can ask for help and reach out for a support person, the easier it gets. And you know, I don't think there's any big moments in my recovery where I'm like, man, I'm getting better. But it was a lot of little things. It was being able to, you know, go to a family gathering for Thanksgiving and actually realize, oh, wow, I didn't stress out about what I put on my plate. And I'm actually listening to my cousin who's, you know, talking about what she's been doing the last couple of months. And so it's just these, it was these little moments for me that I'm like, this is working. And honestly, it was because I made time for treatment. Mm -hmm. It's so important. And eating disorders are just so hard. And if you, I found that for me personally, if I let things slip, it would come rearing back. If I got too comfortable and I was like, you know, I could maybe cancel an appointment, that's when things got really murky for me. And so when I finally got serious about recovery, I went far past when I actually felt okay because I really didn't want to open up the door for it to come back. Did you have in your treatment experience, uh, you know, I know here at the Emily Program and a lot of eating disorder programs, we do a lot of practice meals, like practice holiday meals and practice appetizer meals. So you can get that experience of just walking around somebody's house with a plate of food you're trying to juggle and trying to eat and have a conversation or practice Thanksgiving. Was that part of your treatment experience? And how was it if it was? All of that was the appetizer meal. The first time that I did that in treatment blew my mind. I'm like, no, that's not a meal. But turns out it is. And it like now those are some of my favorite meals. But yeah, having practice and knowing okay, I did this and X, Y, and Z, like all of the fears that are in my head about doing that didn't come true. So being able to practice and know that I've done it, here's what happened, here's how I felt and to anticipate that was really helpful. So the appetizer meal, the, you know, the plating, the plating of serving sizes for um, Thanksgiving meals, those were all super normative and helped increase my confidence over the holidays. That's great. Yeah, a lot of people say if I can, if I can do it here, I can at least you know have a shot at doing it outside of outside of treatment. That it's so it's so hard. Like those are really hard experiences, and hopefully really valuable and and help people to learn some good skills. 
coming into present day now, how has your eating disorder recovery impacted your your holidays now? My eating disorder hasn't been invited to my holidays in a really long time. <laughs> so they're awesome. They're they're just a whole new level of awesome because I know how challenging they have been in the past. So there's a lot that I appreciate about it now. I honestly, I don't think about my eating disorder. I mean, I had, we just had Thanksgiving and I had a normal breakfast that day. I had a normal lunch and you know, the, the holiday that the Thanksgiving dinner that we had was served at a time that I normally wouldn't eat a meal. Because that's what we do. We just put Thanksgiving at random times. Right? But honestly, having my daughter, it was a really interesting experience this year. She wasn't hungry because she just had lunch several hours ago. And so instead of, you know, trying to be like, no, you got to eat. I was like, she's not hungry. She'll We'll make a plate for her later. And to be honest, I did that too. <laughs> I mean, and that's fine. You know, it was great being able to be around my family and to be present and to just enjoy the togetherness of it and to not have to be giving any time of day to disordered thoughts that are running through my head because they're just not there. And honestly, I didn't know that that was possible. Um, When I was in treatment, it was very hard to picture that being the case. But I mean, I don't honestly think there's anything special about me and my recovery. I think it's just you put the work in and you do it, and it's a lot of work, and it's exhausting, and you need a lot of support. And so I'm so grateful for my treatment team and for my friends and my family that were part of my recovery. Um, my husband is amazing, and he has been a wonderful support. And he has unfortunately <laughs> like <clears throat> been the one to say the wrong things a lot, but <laughs> then we figure out the right things to say. Sometimes the trial and error isn't super fun. You will say the wrong things as a family member. You will say the wrong things if you are the person with an eating disorder and that's okay. Like you have to forgive and move on and learn from it. Yeah. And have that conversation. See it as an opportunity. Like, well, that was really unhelpful. Let's just have a little chat about why and maybe what would be more helpful. Yeah. I can think of several instances where I've been like, let's try this. This sounds like a really good idea. And five minutes into it, I'm like, this was a horrible idea. Forget I said it. <laughs> and they're like, no, 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 we'll just try it. You said it. And I was like, nope. And so it blew up, but we learned from it. Like it's it's what happens, right? That yeah. people talk about how terrifying those holiday experiences are and how uncomfortable they are and how, I mean, I remember when I had my eating disorder holidays, I just wanted to crawl out of my skin and run as far away as possible. They feel really bad so much of the time. And now I look back and think, yeah, that's, I lost a lot of good holidays to that eating disorder. And now they're times of togetherness and fun and we can make fun of the random time we eat Thanksgiving dinner in the middle of the afternoon or why there's so many messages and how you know, there's so many retailers depending on us to buy into the the myths and messages about food and weight and eating and all that stuff. But it doesn't have to be like that. I'm starting to see on social media a lot more body positivity, and I am here for it. It is, you know, it's mom blog, scary mommy mentioning, say this, not that. If a relative says this, do that. Here's how to redirect. If someone says you look like you've eaten gained weight eat them you know (laughs) like just silly stuff like that but honestly I am starting to see more conversations in the mainstream like social media and blogs and stuff like that that are talking about how to be supportive around holidays because they're not easy for everyone and I love that that's actually being talked about now yeah that is great how does it you know being a, a mom of this amazing small human that you have uh what do you want for her for holidays 
well, I pray to God I haven't genetically predisposed her, but I know that I will do everything in my power to teach her to focus on the happy things. And I hope that I am able to instill a healthy relationship with food where you're just mindful. You eat when you eat. I mean, she's honestly the best guide for that right now. If she doesn't, if she's not hungry, she doesn't really eat that much. And when she is hungry, she will eat. So honestly, right now, she's a great guide for me, but I hope that you know, as she, as she gets older, it's a lot of memories of tradition. It's a lot of memories of, you know, just doing really fun things because you have time off with your family and friends. Mm -hmm. Um, I hope she never has to experience the holidays like I did. And you know what, if she does someday, I will be the first to put her butt into therapy (laughs) and to make sure she gets the skill set that I learned when I was there, because it was just an incredible gift that I gave myself. The time in therapy really, now that I'm reflecting, was a gift. And honestly, it sucks that I had an eating disorder, but it has made me the person that I am. Um, It's a lot of hard work to recover. So anyone that I know of that is in treatment for an eating disorder or who is considering treatment, like you are strong and you are amazing because it is a full-time job having an eating disorder, and it's an extra full-time job going to treatment for an eating disorder, but it is the most, it's, it's the best job I've ever had. When you, when you think back to sort of that early Kezia and her eating disorder feeling, you know, it sounds like you felt pretty alone and scared and didn't want to talk to people, and what would you, what would you tell her now that you see her? What would you, if you could just sidle up right along next to her and say like, hey, Here's my two cents that you probably aren't going to listen to because you're me, but (laughs) if you did. I would say you do have an eating disorder, so stop trying to convince yourself you don't because you're just going to knock time off of it. Knowing that the, the best work that I did was when I was serious about treatment, Um, I wish I would have had that earlier. I wish I would have done it, but honestly, you... I found that you can only do it on your own time. Mm-hmm. I did not have a lot of um, internal motivation to go to therapy when I first started. It was more so doing it for my mom, for my family, because I'm being told to. Um, and I didn't have a lot of internal stake in it, I felt like. I wish I would have. I wish I would have had the drive I did at the end to recover because I think my eating disorder would have been a lot more short-lived had I done that. But I would say... You're going to get through this. It's going to be amazing at the end. There is so much to fight for. Holidays are so much better without your eating disorder, without that nagging thing clinging to your back, whispering in your ear. And they were just exhausting. If you if you could give um, any advice to parents, you know, we get a lot of questions, uh, particularly for moms, around how can I help or what can I say or what should I do or what do I look for? Or, you know, I know it's a big question, but any any little piece of advice you could give to a parent who is worried about their child? I would just say keep loving your child and keep showing up for your child. They might be super opposed to any mention of an eating disorder and talking about it, but that's what my mom did, and eventually we got there. So, again, I mean, I eventually hit a point where I just realized, wow, my family has been trying to be here for me and I have not let them. And it was a really hard point to get to because I didn't 
mean to push them out, but I was. And it's because I felt a lot of shame about the eating disorder. I felt like I was dragging them down. So there was a lot of guilt and shame around my family um, trying to help me. And that's why I pushed them out for so long. But knowing that they loved me, knowing that they were there for me, and that when I was ready, they would absolutely help was huge. So I would just say, just keep showing up. Just keep loving your loved one and letting them know that you're willing to do whatever they need. Yeah, that's beautiful. So kind of to wrap up, thinking a little bit about, about recovery, you know, we talk a lot about how, how you know, eating disorders have this genetic predisposition that, you, you know, you may, have, you may have passed on a little bit, but you can also pass on a lot of right. protective factors, <laughs> right? Uh, how do you be your best self? Like, what do you do to, to cope with, with all that is in the world that is involved in being you and your neurobiology and yourself? And how do you keep yourself peaceful and happy and and mindful what kinds of things do you do that are important to you I've learned that I am at my best when I'm really open about what I'm feeling so I've learned that even though it can be uncomfortable I need to share when I'm upset I need to share when I'm stressed and I need to reach out for support Um, support is a huge thing for me I'm a very extroverted person and so the eating disorder was extremely damaging because it was so isolating and so Um, for me to be me, I need to be around my people. Um, and it, it really is self-care. I feel like that's a word that is just like hits you over the head over and over and over when you're in treatment, but for good reason, it is so important. I've learned to recognize my, maybe the, the warning flags through a lot of work in therapy and I know what to watch for. Because while the eating disorder has not been a part of my life in a very long time, I'm not in some, you know, I know it could come back if, I, if I'm not, you know, aware of it. And so for me to be my best person, I need to watch for those warning flags, use my coping skills, and a lot of it is self-care. Moving my body in a way that feels good, you know, cuddling with my baby, playing with my puppy, doing dinners, you know, with my husband. So I think those are really important for me to stay in a good place. That's great. What, uh, what holiday wish or message do you have for somebody who might be listening who's struggling right now? So I actually took time to think about this question today. And the overwhelming thing is that holidays can be so hard. They are so hard when you're dealing with an eating disorder. Practice gentleness, practice asking for help. It's not easy to do at the start, especially the gentleness, but it gets easier the more you do it. Um, I would say that those around you might be more willing to help than you think, and um, it can be really fulfilling for them to be asked to help. And so um, I know, again, my most successful holidays were the ones where I had a plan in place, and I think if you're not in treatment maybe considering giving yourself that gift. If you are in treatment, maybe setting aside time in your therapy session, your appointment with your dietitian or a group to brainstorm because I found that my group mates were so helpful because we were all in the same boat. We weren't judging each other. We had a lot of experience to share. And so um, planning and viewing food as medicine helped me make it a priority. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you for sharing your story with us. Thank you for coming on the podcast. 
If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. If you'd like to learn more about the Emily Program and what we do, visit emilyprogram.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Emily Program. Special thanks to our former host, Claire Holtz. She's moved on to a new adventure, but we'd like to thank her for hosting and co-producing this podcast over the last year. Piecemeal is produced now by Angie Mitchell and Nancy Linden with music by Dan Forkey. Have a great holiday season.